Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Good morning, welcome. As we begin today's Torah portion, the Sunday portion of Kitetze, chapter 21, verse 10. Today's portion, meaning the first of the seven portions of Kitetze, today's portion, the Sunday portion, consists of three laws. Let me quickly do an overview on the three laws, and then we'll get into the Chumash and Rashi. Law number one. What happens when soldiers, the army, finds itself in a distant city, and the soldiers, we know that armying has its issues, soldiering has its problems. And the soldiers see a woman, and they want to have a relationship with the woman. Soldiers do that all the time. I think Japan keeps apologizing to Korea for the 39th time. So the Torah says this is a problem. On the one hand, to say no, the soldier is not going to listen. Just because when he was in Cheder as a little kid, he learned, no. On the other hand, you can't just let things go wild because Hashem doesn't like that kind of thing. So in today's, in the first of the three portions, in today's portion he's going to say, he's going to explain that there are certain laws and regulations which have been enacted. We're not going to go into all the details For that, we have to look into halacha. But the fact of the matter is that the Torah makes it so difficult with lots of regulations so that hopefully it won't happen. That's law number one, part number one of today's portion. Part number two of today's portion, in a nutshell, there's a very central law in Torah, and that is the law of inheritance. Meaning... That when a man dies, his children inherit his estate. And that's something that by Torah law, you have to respect. There's another law, and that is that one's firstborn son gets double of the inheritance. So that if somebody has five sons... His firstborn son gets double of the inheritance. And then the other three, uh, the other four sons share the balance. So, I mean, I I was going to give an example, a mathematical example, which uh, I used the wrong number. But if somebody has, it doesn't matter. The point is that the oldest son gets double. And by Torah law, even if one does not like one's oldest son, one cannot change that. And that's part two of today's law, and we'll talk about some interesting factors in that law. And part three of today's portion is the stubborn and rebellious child. That if somebody has a juvenile delinquent, in today's terms, he steals money, from his parents to buy drugs and alcohol. 
So you bring the kid before the court, and the court tries him, and if they find that the shoe fits, they make him shine it. And the many details describing that law, good morning, welcome, and how it was almost rare, if ever, that the law was actually enacted, but it's a certainly a law, I know when I learned it as a kid, certainly scared me. So those are the three laws of today's Torah portion. Chapter 21, verse 10. When you will go out to war against your enemies, and God, your God, will deliver them into your hands so that the war will go well for you. You will be a victor. In war, you take captives. That's the nature of war. Rashi So Rashi says, The scenario here being painted is an optional war. It's not the war which Israel, which the Jewish people fought to conquer or to liberate Israel from the seven Canaanite nations. Shebel Mechemes Eretz Yisrael, because in that war, Ein Leimar Vishavisa Shivya, you can't say you will take captives. There were no captives to be taken. Sharei Kvarnema, because we learned earlier, Lo Sechaye Kol Neshoma, that they were not supposed to allow anyone to live. Therefore, how can you take captives if you don't allow anyone to live? Now, I, I especially went and photocopied a piece of halacha from the Rambam, who takes it from the Talmud Yerushalmi, to tell us it's not like it sounds. Very important teaching. Hilchas Melochim, the Laws of Kings, chapter 6, halacha 5. Shloshok Sovim Sholach Yeshua Achele Nichnas Laoretz. Yeshua, good morning. Joshua sent three proclamations to Canaan before they entered into the land. Harishin Sholach Lahem. Proclamation number one he sent them. He sent his helicopters to drop flyers. I'm just kidding. It was more modern times. He sent emails on their blackberries. Whoever wants to run away, run. So that's number one. He told them, you're welcome to leave. No one will stop you. Number two, and he sent it. Number two, he sent the second flyer. Whoever wants to surrender, surrender. We promise you, we're not going to harm you. And... The Canaanites were, if they wanted to surrender, they just had to accept the sovereignty of Israel over Israel and the seven Noahide laws. Number three, he sent another leaflet, whoever wants to go to war, go to war. So anyone who wanted to could leave. Anyone who wanted to could surrender. Then, of those who elected to make war, of those, lo sechaya neshama applies. That which we just learned applies. And this is something that's in halacha, which is not usually known, certainly doesn't sound that way from this Rashi. 
In this distant war, even if there are Canaanites and they are taken captive, this halacha still applies. Even though they are from the seven original Canaanite nations, but they find themselves in a distant community. There are balaturims here, just a few of them. The previous portion ends with the words, Kisa sehayosher, if you will do that which is upright in the eyes of God. And then it says, Kitetze la that those who go out to war should be righteous, should be those who do what, that which is right in the eyes of Hashem. The previous portion ended with Hashem. And following that, Kisa sehayosher be'ine Hashem. Following that it says, Kisetze. It ends with the word God and then it says, Seitze. To tell us that we should know that Hashem goes out with us to war. As it says, Vayetze Hashem, Vanilcham, Vagoyim, that Hashem went out and waged war against the nations. Kisetze, better you should go out to them than allow them to come to you. You don't want the front lines in your backyard. Better the front lines should be in their backyard. So these are some of the observations of the Bala Turim here. Okay, but what's the story here? The story here is about a soldier who sees a woman, and she's probably flirting with him as well. Maybe he has chocolate, maybe he has cigarettes, maybe he has dollars. Okay, shekels. Eleven, Vira Bashivya, you'll see amongst the captives, Aishas Yifasteir, a beautiful woman. Vichashaktaba, you'll desire her. The only problem is you have a wife and kids at home. And you want to take her to you as a wife. You know, you come back from war and says, Honey, guess what I brought? Guess what? You're never going to guess. Rashi 11, war takes captives. Even if she was married, this is wartime. So a captive is a captive. That's the whole history of how slaves developed from wartime. How does a nice Jewish boy take a non-Jewish woman as a wife? And by the way, of course, obviously this goes back to once upon a time when men were permitted to have more than one wife. Uh, Rabbeinu Gershom changed that nearly a thousand years ago in Ashkenazi communities and even in most Sparta communities. Uh, that changed in more recent times. The fact of the matter is that the Torah speaks in Torah terms. So this is not something which should take place today. Good morning. The Torah addresses the evil inclination, the burning passion of the soldier. If Hashem does not permit him one way or another to engage with her, he's just going to take her. Avol. So the Torah says, if you follow the prescription here, you can marry her. But you should know, I'm telling you, remember, write this down. It's not, she's not going to give you blessing. Not going to give you nachas. In the saw, if you marry her, safely in the end you'll hate her. Which is why the second portion deals with a man who has two wives. One he loves and one he hates. 
as it says afterwards, if a man will have two wives. It says that King David's son, who rebelled against him, Absalom, was the son of this captive woman type. So that he almost killed and uh, he, he waged war. He, 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 he launched a treasonous war against his own father. Visefe in the end, Lahalid Mimena, he will have children from her, Ben Sedomeda, a stubborn and rebellious son. That's portion three. So portion one is you bring yourself a nice captive home, you say, Honey, I'm home. Portion two is you end up despising her. Portion three, her child doesn't give you too much nachas, does not become the valedictorian in the yeshiva. So that's the introductory verse, the Torah has to address one's burning passion because he's out there in the middle of a war and what happens in war. So the Torah says, this is what you should do. Twelve, I want to say again that there are many details that are in halacha with regard to this. We're not reviewing them all here. We're just doing the Chumash and Rashi. If you want to know all the fine details, look in the Rambam or other sources of halacha. So you bring her home and you bring her into your house. You shave her hair off. Instead of sending her to the beauty parlor to get her hair done, you shave her hair off. And you allow her nails, her fingernails, to grow wild. So she doesn't have the hair, her hairdresser or her manicurist. Twelve, the godlame, it means she lets them grow wild. Because the name of the game here is that you saw her in her most attractive moment. We want her to become not attractive. The Balaturim here says, why should you cut her hair off? Because she used her hair to attract you. Why should you let her nails go wild? Because she used her fingers with her fancy fingernails to convince you to engage her. Verse 13, You then remove the garments she wore during her captivity, which were immodest garments, and you have her sit in a very plain garment from Mervyn's Olavasholem, from Sears. And she laments and mourns and cries for her father and mother, for a month. So you have her sit there with a shaved head, with wild fingernails, in a plain uh, seer's garment, Mervyn's garment, for a month. After that time, if you're still interested, go get them. You can come to her over Alta and be with her, and take her as a wife and enjoy. So that is the condition which the Torah sets, which obviously stopped a lot of those marriages.
especially since the wife lives in the house. And she probably didn't give her pancakes every morning. Why should he remove the garment of captivity? Because the garments of captivity were beautiful. Because the nations, their daughters would adorn themselves during war in order to attract soldiers. Which again is the nature of war. Speak to anybody who's been in, in, in a distant war zone. In your house, not in some house you have in the suburbs. In your house, the house that he uses. He comes in, he bumps into her. He goes out. He sees her crying. He sees her in her state of lack of beauty. The plan here is that she should not be appealing to him. That's the Torah's plan so that the Torah wants him to let her go free and let her go live her life. And she's not going to make a good wife to him just because at his moment of soldiering, he was attracted to her. Why are we being so hard on her? So first of all, we're not being so hard on her because as we're about to learn, that in the end, he either marries her and gives her all the rights of a wife, she converts, she becomes a Jew, she becomes a full wife, or he has to liberate her and he can't even get money for her even though she could be a captive. So in fact, she's being protected by the Torah. But says Rashi, why so much? In order that his Jewish wife should be happy and she should be upset, as his Jewish wife should be adorned, faputzed, and this one should be the opposite. So that's the Torah's plan, that she not be attractive to him. This is the idea. Verse 14, It shall come to pass, if after this month, he says, never mind. If you will no longer desire to take her as a wife, you must send her free. You may not sell her, even though she was originally a captive of war. You cannot deal with her in this manner as a captive. Why? Because what you put her through the last 30 days. So as a reward, she either becomes a full wife, or she goes on her own, and she could become the next president, or whatever. The, the, whatever she wants to do, she, no, you can't become a president. Whatever she wants to do, she could do. Whatever life will enable her to do. Verse 14, The Torah informs you, Sooner or later, you're going to despise her. You're not going to like her. So therefore, it might as well be sooner rather than later. Don't use her as a slave. That's the grammar here. So that's portion number one of the three portions of today's portion. Portion number two, inheritance. 
Let me bring out a fascinating point in the laws of inheritance. The Torah says, a man's sons inherit his estate, everything he owns. The oldest son must inherit double the inheritance, twice as much. What if he doesn't like his oldest son, as we have in today's Torah portion? Too bad. But there is an interesting point. This only applies when a man dies and his estate has to be inherited. During one's lifetime, one can do whatever one wants with one's money. One can give his money away. He can give it away to the youngest son. He can give it away to his nephew. He can give it away to anyone he wants to. When he dies, he could be barren without a dime. It's only that when he dies, the estate kicks in and Torah law takes over. But if it doesn't become part of the estate, it doesn't fall into this law. Therefore, there's matana and yirusha. Matana is to gift. Anyone can gift anyone anything. One can take one's entire wealth and give it away to anyone, as long as one is of sound mind and body. But once it enters into, I guess what we call in America, probate, then the law takes over. And that's fascinating. Okay, verse 15. If a man will have, and this is the scenario he paints, two wives, because back then a person could have more than one wife. As I said earlier, Rabbeinu Gershon introduced the prohibition of marrying more than one wife, and this has been in effect in the Ashkenazic community for nearly the last thousand years, and in the Sephardic community for a shorter time, but nowadays basically... Uh, it's one husband, one wife. The story is that in this guy's life, one of his wives he loves, and the other one he can't stand. Can't stand her. And they both had children. The one he loves had children. And the one he hates had children. Once his estate kicks into probate, as we say, once it falls into the inheritance laws, the law is, I'm sorry, so the story is, the way it happened in this story is, the oldest son comes from the woman he can't stand. He can't stand the son either. So he does not want his son to inherit him. Too bad. Inheritance law is inheritance law. It shall come to pass. And again, the commentaries say that this son came from the wife who was a captive. I told you not to marry her. I told you. But that's just the order of portions to tell you that uh, no good deed goes unpunished. It shall come to pass. On the day that he causes his sons to inherit whatever he has, he may not cause, show favoritism, or treat as the older one, the son of the woman he loves, over the woman that he hates, who happens to be the oldest son. Torah does not permit that. Key because the law is that as the son who is the 
child of the firstborn. He must recognize and acknowledge to give him a double portion. And everything he has. Key because who he is the first fruits of his strength. He deserves the right of the birthright, and that is to get twice as much. Let's go back to my scenario if I can get my mathematics straight. Somebody has four children. So you take his estate and divide it into five, 20%. Each of his children get 20%, except the oldest who gets 40%. So you have 20 and 20 goes to the oldest, and then 20, 20, 20 goes to the other three. That is the law of birthright and inheritance, but to underscore again, during one's lifetime, one can give anything to anyone, the oldest son, the youngest son. He can even give it to his neighbor. 17, Pishnayim, Kenegechneachim, receiving the portion of two brothers. So in my case, in my example, each brother gets 20%. The oldest one gets twice 20%. There are two categories that fall into this. One category is what the father has now. Whatever the estate contains now, the oldest son gets twice as much. There's another category, and that is what will come into this estate. What comes into this estate is equal, is divided equally. The oldest son does not get double from that which is going to come into this estate. That is, as we used to say back home in New Jersey, equal pasqual. That's the second portion. Now we come to the third portion, the stubborn and rebellious son. I, I actually prepared the Rambam here just to give you a little bit insight into the difficult laws applying to the stubborn and rebellious son. The stubborn and rebellious son, as we're going to learn, steals money from his parents to buy meat and wine. That was the drugs of that time. Nobody ate meat unless there was a, unless it was sukkahs or there was a bris, a wedding. Uh, he has, has to steal from his father and buy meat cheap. Has to get a good price. He has to eat it and drink it outside of his father's home. He has to do it with a group of bums, a group of gangbangers. He has to eat the meat raw and not cooked. Because bad guys don't cook their meat. That's what sets apart the men and the boys. Because the robbers, they eat their meat raw. The murderers. He has to eat a minimum of a weight of 50 dinners of meat. And he has to drink a half a lug of wine at one time. What if he stole his father's money and ate it in his father's house? It doesn't count. He has to eat it outside. What if he stole somebody else's money and he ate it inside or outside? It doesn't count. And so on and so forth. It has to be precise. Just skipping here. 
how old is this kid? Number one, he has to be 13. Otherwise, he's still a child. But he has to be 13 and not having reached physical maturity yet, which is determined in Torah law with the full development of a minimum of two pubic hairs. And, and therefore, or, or, and, and in this case, it has to be much more than that. So therefore, it's that three-month period between becoming bar mitzvah and reaching full puberty. So the whole law can only apply to three months. Uh, these are some examples of the limitations that exist, which is why there's an opinion that this actually uh, never happened because of the great difficulty of uh, making everything come together in, in a perfect way. Okay, uh, you can refer to the Rambam Hilchas Mamrim Perik Zion. The Laws of Rebellious People, Chapter 7. To the Chumash now, 2118. If a man will have, Ben a son, Seder Umeire, who's stubborn and rebellious. If he doesn't want to listen to his father, or his mother, the voice of his father, or the voice of his mother. One of the things it says in Halacha is that his father's voice and his mother's voice have to be very similar. They have to sound the same. And that's very unusual. The Yisru'ay say, and they shall chastise him. They warn him. They give him uh, lashes. And he says, I don't care. So not like it sounds. He's not this six-year-old. He's 13 years old, but he's not fully physically mature. Seder, Sarmin Aderech, he went off the proper path. Omeda, Mesarabidibriyav, he rebels against his father. Lashin Mamrim, it means rebellious, which is why it's part of the laws of rebellion. Rebellious people. The Yisraeli they take him and Masrim Bebifneshlesha, they warn him in the presence of three people. Omalkanesi, and they punish him. Ben Seder, Omeda, stubborn and rebellious son, Enechayev, is not guilty. Achiyignev, until he steals. Beyechon, he eats. Tar, Tartimar Bosar, a half of mana of meat, Vishna Khatsilo Yayan, Shanamab Zoilil Besave. Benamar Alti Besave Yayan, Bezele Bosalomu, Ben Sayovene, Negashim Safe. Why is he killed? So he stole the water, so he stole money and bought meat and wine. Alshem Safe, because this shows that he has an addictive personality, and in the end he's going to kill people. He's going to hold people up at an ATM and kill them for $25. The Torah reached the end of his intention. Safe, the end is going to be. He's going to consume the wealth of his father. He's going to disfix. He's not going to find it. I need my stake, and I need it now. Give me A1. And he's going to stand at the crossroads. He's going to rob people. Torah said, if he fits all the criteria, Yomus Zakai let him better die innocent, Val Yomus and let him not die guilty. Verse nineteen And his parents should grab hold of him. say they should bring him out to the elders of this city, to the Sanhedrin, to the court of twenty three judges, to the gates of his place. Not Bill Gates. The Omru and they shall say El Zikna to the elders of his city, meaning the Sanhedrin. 
Benenuzeh, this son of ours, Sora Omori, stubborn and rebellious. Enenu Shemeya Bikelenu, he's not listening to us. Zeilel Besevi is a glutton and a drunkard. He's a drug addict. So the Bezdin investigates and puts him on trial. And if they find that all the fine details come together, and the men of his city shall stone him with stones, which is one of the four methods of putting someone to death by Torah law, and he will die, and you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all of Israel shall hear and see and learn. 21, from here we learn that an announcement has to be made in the courts, so and so was stoned, because he was a stubborn and rebellious son. A couple of Balaturim's here. The Balaturim here says the word sorer has the numerical value of Absalom, son of David. Benenu, it says it's missing a yud as if he transgressed all of the Ten Commandments. I want to just share that in my uh, 38 years of the rabbinate, uh, one comes across all kinds of people and all kinds of kids. And uh, one time over the past 38 years, I got a call from parents who called me up and they said, we're going crazy. Our kid is out of control. And they brought this, I think it was a 10-year-old kid in to see me. And this kid, I mean, he was a bad kid. He was pathological. He had no conscience. He had no sensitivity. What he didn't do to his parents, and he laughed at me. I mean, it was, I said to myself, now... I have a taste of what a Bensora Romora is. Anyway, a year or two later, he was in, in juvenile prison, and after that, he got him, he stole, the, he robbed and stole, and, and in the end, he, he put him in prison, and in the end, he was killed. So he, you just saw when he was, I saw when he was 10 years old, this guy was bad. I said, now I have a taste of what the Torah was talking about, because how do you picture a nice 13-year-old kid? I mean, so he took some money. He'll get, he'll get over it. Send him for therapy. We're talking about a bad, bad kid. And uh, I, I saw this kid, and I, I, I still meet his parents from time to time. It's a tragic, tragic situation. Just sharing that to tell you that until I met this kid, I didn't understand the Chumash. End of today's Torah portion.